3: This is Bear Sheldon Neely and you're listening to the Tom Sumner show.
4: Ladies and gentlemen, in Philip
3: Rapp's creation, The Bigger <laughs> What's
5: what's the matter? All right, all right, Blanche, Blanche.
6: I'm putting a ribbon in my hair.
5: Where are you going?
6: I'm not going anywhere. I just thought I'd like to look nice this morning. Why? I knew you'd forget. You don't even know what day this is.
5: I do, too. It's rent day.
6: It is not. Today happens to be our wedding anniversary.
5: Well, I knew it was a sad occasion of something. What
6: kind of a remark is that? That's supposed to be funny.
5: No, it isn't supposed to be funny, Blanche. I'm just groggy. That's all. I'm sorry.
6: I knew you'd forget.
5: I didn't forget it.
6: So why didn't you say something?
5: Blanche, I just opened my eyes.
6: You? Forgot it.
5: I tell you, I didn't forget it. But even if I did, you'd remind me of it. Happy anniversary.
6: Happy anniversary. Is that all? No plans? We've been married eight years. Don't you want to do something?
5: No, it's too late to do anything.
6: It's sad about you, how you suffer. I didn't get such a bargain, you know.
5: Okay, okay.
6: There's better fish in the ocean than the one I caught.
5: There's better bait, too.
6: I'm serious.
5: Okay, I'm sorry. You hack away at me in the morning, and I'm so exhausted, I don't know what I'm saying.
6: You wouldn't be so exhausted if you went to bed at a reasonable hour.
5: I had to work overtime. Pour me some coffee.
6: Get paid? I'll get paid. What time did you get home?
5: 12.30.
6: If you got home at 12.30, why were you so long getting into bed? I know for a fact you didn't come to bed until almost 2.
5: I was in the kitchen putting the stuff away. What stuff? What's the matter, Blanche? You told me to bring stuff home for the party tonight. You invited a lot of your crumb friends and you told me to bring stuff, so I brought stuff.
6: Did you bring the potatoes for the potatoes? salad.
5: I brought potatoes.
6: Did you pair them?
5: I paired them.
6: All of them?
5: All except one. He had a big knob on top and I couldn't find a mate for him. (laughs) I meant... I know what you meant, Blanche. I even boiled them last night. Where are my pants? Who stole my pants?
6: Nobody stole your pants.
5: I just looked in the wastebasket and they're not there. My shoes are missing from the sink.
6: Don't be silly, John. Your pants are on a hanger in the closet and your shoes are in the shoe rack.
5: How'd they get there?
6: I put them there.
5: Well, I wish you'd quit throwing my things around like that. Gotta get them or I'll be late.
6: You won't be late. Here are your pants.
5: Thanks. Blanche, these aren't my pants.
6: They're not? Then whose pants are they?
5: That's a good question, only I should be asking. Them.
6: Don't be so snug. They were baggy, so I pressed them. Baggy? Took me an hour to find the right crease. Be careful you don't wrinkle them now.
5: What's the difference? I like my pants to look lived in.
6: You're dragging the tops on the floor. Hold your trouser leg with your left hand, then step in with your right foot.
5: Blanche, I've been putting on my own pants for over 40 years years and I don't need you to be the foreman of it. Which one? It doesn't matter. I want to use it for a belt. My suspenders are broken.
6: Why don't you wear your belt?
5: I'm using it to keep the soles from falling off my shoes.
6: John Fittleson, you know you're just...
5: I know it. I know I haven't got a belt. Where's my shirt? Where did you hide my shirt?
6: I didn't hide it anywhere.
5: Well, where is it?
6: I draped it around the canary's cage so he could sleep.
5: Is my shirt the only rag you could find to cover the bird's cage with?
6: Hasn't hurt anything, has it?
5: No, but I don't like the way that bird pokes into my pockets. Every time I take a cigarette out, I'm smoking bird seed. Why do you have to cover the cage anyway?
6: The canary is sensitive to light.
5: Well, get him a pair of sunglasses. Leave my shirt alone. No bird's going to sleep later than I do. Ah, shut up.
6: John, why must you be so mean on our anniversary? Blanche,
5: I'm not mean. I'm worried. Business is bad. My job is hanging by a thread.
6: You never should have quit your other job.
5: You made me quit. You said it wasn't dignified selling bowling balls. You were embarrassed to answer when people asked you what your husband sold.
6: Well, it sounded like it was trying to start a fight.
5: That's no problem for you. I gotta go.
6: Here, and don't forget your samples.
5: I won't forget. This darn vacuum cleaner gets heavier every day. Straighten this hose around my neck, will you, Blanche?
6: There, there. Now, got everything?
5: I think so. No, wait a minute. You got any money?
6: Well, there's 50 cents in the sugar bowl.
5: 50 cents?
6: You can bring me the change when you come home.
5: Now listen, Blanche. Something's got to be done about this. I can't go down to work like a pauper every day. A man's got to have a couple dollars in his pocket.
6: Now don't yell at me.
5: I don't mind going with torn clothes and holes in my socks, but I'm not going to suffer through those lunches anymore.
6: What's the matter with your lunches?
5: You ought to know. You pack them for me. I'm just getting sick of carrying my lunch to work in a paper suit. Why can't I go to the restaurant like the other fellas?
6: John, what are you talking about? I haven't fixed your lunch for two years.
5: Oh, Blanche, every morning of my life I find my lunch wrapped in brown paper on the side of the sink.
6: John, that's the garbage.
5: Goodbye, Blanche.
6: Goodbye, dear. Happy anniversary. (laughs)
7: Super bad transmittable, contagious, awful virus. And if we don't act quick and social distance, it will mire us. In a stretch of quarantine, that last until July are super bad transmittable, contagious awful virus. And if you got a better cough in your arm, and if you got a better <coughs> Now, back in 1918, influenza had its run. But half the dots were busy overseas with World War One. Today we have mass media and scientists to say if you don't want this virus, well then stay six feet away. Super Damn important that we practice isolation, cause we're asymptomatic while it's an incubation. Will overwhelm our hospitals if there's not mitigation. It's super damn important that we practice isolation. If we don't do it then we're all gonna die, if we don't do it then we're all gonna die And so I hope at last you'll take this lesson here to heart Cause it's already scary and we're only at the start If you get bored just think of the immunocompromised Who can't go much of anywhere unless it's sterilised Oh, super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus If we don't act quick and social distance it will mire us In a stretch of quarantine the lesson to rely a super bad transmittable Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Super bad, transmittable, contagious, awful virus. Old fashioned
1: Radio For a new generation
2: Time Summer Program.com The Time Summer Program.com The Time Summer
1: Program.com From a Tom Sumner.
3: welcome back everybody this is the Tom Sumner program my uh, my guest this hour um has a, uh, I, I guess it's a uh, a debut young adult novel she writes about teen trauma especially that faced by indigenous women she comes from uh, Canada her name is Jen Ferguson her newest book uh, the summer of bitter and sweet is uh out And it's uh, uh, published by the Heart Drum Imprint of HarperCollins Children's Books. And uh, Jen joins me by phone. Good morning, Jen. Welcome to the show. Good morning. Now, I get this right. You're, you're from Canada, right?
4: I am. I'm a Canadian citizen currently working in Los Angeles, California.
3: Oh, really? Yeah, see, nobody's really from L.A. No. <laughs> Everybody's from somewhere else, <laughs> um, but but tell me about this particular um, this particular book and and writing about indigenous women. Why? How did yeah. that become an interest for you?
4: Happily, um, so I am Métis on my father's side, and I'm white Canadian settler on my mother's side. So for me, writing about a Métis teen um, was something that came about fairly naturally. Um, The other thing that it might be interesting to talk about a little bit is the missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people human rights crisis that is very actively happening in Canada and, and talked about in Canada, but it's also happening across the border in yeah, the was, United I States. I was gonna
3: say that's that's happening in the US as well. Do you have it any is. sense for how how many? I know it's difficult to know precisely, but but the things that have been uncovered so far, what does it indicate in terms of the number of people?
4: Yeah, so I'm more familiar with these numbers in Canada, and part of that is because we've had some national inquiries, and we've had some um, looking into the problem over about the last 30 years, and so I've I've seen statistics that say about 4,000 women, girls, and two-spirit people over the past 30 years have been murdered or gone missing. But I've also seen statistics that say that that's quite low, and and we're probably looking more at close to 7,000. And that's just in Canada. So that border between our two countries um, actually cuts through several indigenous nations. So the numbers are are not well recorded.
3: Well, and that's because in a lot of cases, um, these disappearances... uh, would have gone completely unreported
4: possibly unreported or reported and um, not considered important by the police forces so one of the documents that I ran into when I was doing research um, as part of my PhD at the University of South Dakota was that the RCMP in Canada would mark certain disappearances of Indigenous women and girls under a category called lost slash wandered off, as if that is a a solution or a reason for a disappearance.
3: Well, yeah, if somebody just wandered off, case solved. Right, exactly. Well, that's weird. Um, Now... Something tells me this title, The Summer of Bitter and Sweet, has a little bit to do with an ice cream parlor.
4: Yes, it does. (laughs) So (laughs) I wrote a a novel that that does look into the traumas that indigenous women and girls face. But I also wrote a novel that takes place on the Canadian prairies at a family-owned ice cream parlor and dairy so there is uh, this, this like narrative that is filled with ice cream.
3: Jen, did you work at an ice cream shop when you were growing up?
4: I did not. I worked <laughs> at a pizza parlor. That's,
3: That's but it's too, but the ice cream thing place in a pizza parlor. The ice cream thing. So many people I know as adults have never forgotten the experience of working at an ice cream shop when they were a kid. You know, like a first so summer a, job a or something. And, and so I just had a feeling when this popped up in your book that maybe you'd had that experience as well.
4: I worked at the pizza shop. My, my best friend, when I lived in northern Alberta, she was the one who was scooping ice cream for the summers. Oh, that's
3: funny. So what was it that made you want to include the ice cream shop in this story and in telling this story?
4: Yeah, so I was writing about an Indigenous family, and they they owned a business, and I really wanted their business to have a strong relationship to the land. So when you own a dairy and an organic dairy, you're thinking a lot about the land and about the animals that live on the land. And then the second component that comes in here is that all of the ice cream is made with edible plants that you can find in that part of the country. So in order to make the ice cream, um, Lou's uncles go out and they find the different plants and, and bring them back and incorporate them into their recipes.
3: More with author Jen Ferguson straight ahead.
4: Hello, darling. This is O'Vira, Mistress of the Dark with
1: Tom Sumner.
8: Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection.
3: Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Jen Ferguson straight ahead. When you refer to, and I'm not sure if I'm saying this right, Metis, is that
4: how you pronounce it? It's like... May, the month, okay. and tea, the drink. May tea.
3: May tea is how it's pronounced. You got it. Um, tell me a little bit more about, about that indigenous group. Where, where were they mostly settled, and, and um, where are they now?
4: Yeah, of course. So the, the May tea are a particular case. Um. What the the short story is that fur traders came over from Europe, and they met mostly Cree women, and married them. And instead of the European culture dominating the indigenous culture, what they did was made a hybrid of their cultures, and they developed a new culture together. So the language of the Métis Meshif is mostly. Cree verbs and sentence structures with French nouns. The Métis were active over a large part of what is now Canada, and their territory dipped a little bit into the top of the Midwestern U.S. states, like North Dakota. Now, the Métis are everywhere, as are most displaced
3: indigenous peoples. Is that is that hybrid um, culture unusual?
4: Incredibly. I, I mean, is Incredibly. it
3: unique to this group, or are there other examples of um, a blending of cultures rather than one dominating another?
4: Yeah, so I'm not... I mean we see that we see that a little here.
3: bit in New Orleans.
4: Yeah. So there are a lot of um sort sort of Creole cultures that pop up. Um there are a couple indigenous nations here in the US that have a heavy um Spanish influence I'm thinking of. Um I'm also thinking that this is one of the healthier ways for, for cultures to mix, right?
3: Jen, have the Métis been written about before?
4: Yes, um, in they've been written about a lot. I think what we're, we're finding is that many different BIPOC, um, communities haven't had a chance to write their own stories. So the the big book that stands out for me that came out a couple years ago is Cherry Demolines' The Marrow Thieves. And that was the first time I had seen a Métis character written by a Métis person in a book in, in my entire life. And that came out maybe four years ago.
3: Did that inspire you then to to um, take up pen and and write not a similar story, but you know, um, write a story about a Métis character.
4: Oh, certainly. One of the one of the things that happens um, if you only read stories about, say, white cis. people is that you struggle to imagine that there is room for your story in the landscape of publishing. So when you read something and you're like, wow, I feel seen, suddenly you feel like you could be seen um, with your story.
3: And in this this particular story, and I mentioned you write about teen trauma, um, can can you separate out for me the difference between teen angst and teen trauma?
4: <laughs> yes, yes for sure <laughs> you, you might see the two of them, you might see the two of them pop up together, um, so I think books that end up being uh, about teens and very angsty tend to be about teens processing the very difficult and often contradictory emotions that come at them. Um, so there's there's nothing wrong with teen angst or writing about it. I think when you're writing about traumas that teens face, what you're doing is you're you're going a little deeper into not only emotions from the everyday, but emotions that are um, carried from past experiences into the everyday. Maybe that's the big difference, the, the length of time that that emotion has been um, with the teen character, and they've been dealing with it well or not.
3: Well, Jen, your book, the the Summer of Bitter and Sweet, is being described as uh, a coming of age story with a little bit of spirit, but it's it's also a, a debut young adult novel for you. Is it the the is it the subject matter or the way a book is written that makes it appeal to a young adult? Audience, Is it the coming-of-age story, or is it something about a voice you've adopted to tell this story?
4: I think it, it has to be a little bit of both, but it won't be a little bit of both for every reader. I care an awful lot about the sentence and um, the story as art as much as I care about the content. But some readers are just going to show up to a book for the, the story, the content, and care a little less about how the story is told. I,
3: I just wonder if there's a, a certain voice that you want to use to appeal to a younger hmm. reader.
4: Well, if you're writing from the point of view of a teen... You want to be using a voice that teens are going to uh, believe is authentic in some way. And and that's a a difficult and problematic word. But you're writing from the point of view of a teenager. And that's really important. You're not writing about teenagers. You're writing from the point of view of a teenager. So that's for sure going to be a, a particular voice. Now, this is—I'm
3: not exactly sure how to how to put this question together, Jen, but there is a lot uh, in terms of the themes dealt with in this book, yes. from <laughs> mental health, substance abuse, racism, sexual harassment, and assault, and, as you mentioned earlier, missing and murdered indigenous women. How do you— squeeze that much into a single story or for this particular group of people um is it just that's life
4: well so how do you do it you do it very carefully because (laughs) there um there is only so much space in, in a novel, particularly there's only so much space in a young adult novel and, and this book is about 380 pages and that is pushing the, the envelope a little bit um, but, but you're hitting it on the head there with your, your last statement this is, this is what life looks like for a lot of teenagers um, the, the world is, is getting more complicated and the things that we're dealing with are, are getting more complicated um, and if you are a marginalized person, this is, is, is usually what you have is, is more than one thing layered upon um, upon you.
3: Is there a, a particular uh, event or trauma that happens in this story that um, that provides the bitter, for that summer,
4: yeah, so I think that there are, are a few traumas that that are part of the bitter part of the summer um, the The one major one is that Lou is uh, being contacted by her white biological father, who she's never met, who has been released from prison, and seems to want some kind of relationship with her that she does not desire. And this is happening while Lou's mother is um, on the powwow circuit selling her beadwork and out of Lou's life for the first time in 18 years.
3: And, and essentially, he gets out of prison and wants to meet her, and she does not want to meet him.
4: Yeah, she wants she wants nothing to do with him, but she's 18, and he's putting on some pressure, and she's not quite a hundred percent sure how to react to it. Um, She's secretive, so she doesn't tell her uncle who she lives with, what's going on, and she doesn't rely on her friends at first. Things are are feeling pretty tense, and she thinks maybe she should meet with him, and if she meets with him, that that will satisfy him.
3: How much research did you have to do for this book, Jen, or Did other research you've done for other writing you've done uh, come into play?
4: Yeah, for for this book um, I did some research into uh, local edible indigenous plants. I did a little bit of research into running an organic dairy in Alberta. Um, I lived in the town that this book is set in for two years while I was in high school, so the location is fairly familiar to me. And then all of the research I did when I was at the University of South Dakota, thinking about um, the missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit human rights crisis, pepper into this book, they like bubble up. For this
3: book, um, and, and again, the, uh, I, I want to repeat the title, The Summer of Bitter and Sweet by Jen Ferguson. Um, Jen, for this book, did you come up with the characters first and then craft a story of things that might happen to them, or was it sort of the other way around? Did you have a story and then you cast the story?
4: Oh, I'm definitely a writer that starts with character first. Um, Lou sort of showed up in my mind rather fully formed. And then I had to think about the narrative that would um, take Lou from the starting point where she showed up in my mind to the sort of fundamental scene for me that, that popped up really early and that was a scene of Lou somewhere out on her family's property in, um, in a tent alone. So I knew that we were going to move towards um, being in her house with her family and something happening making her think that she, she couldn't trust her family or, or didn't want to be in the same house as her family.
3: And so she goes out to, to sort things out. In yeah, her, in her
4: um, mind. Yeah, she she needs space. She's eighteen. She finds out that her uncles have been keeping a secret from her, and she storms out of the house with her thrifted camping gear and goes out to one of the far pastures.
3: What? Uh, I'm I'm a little bit surprised. Um, well, I'm I'm not going to say that because I, I don't. <laughs> I I don't want to get you in trouble with your publisher but I you know when I was reading about the book The Summer of Bitter and Sweet and about your background and the the characters in the book I was surprised not to see the Rick Riordan brand um because he's Oh really? <laughs> well, do you know what I mean by that because he he has set up this Rick Riordan Presents brand. Yeah. where a lot of people from different cultures are telling their stories, whether it's mythology from their culture or stories based on that mythology or creating new stories based on uh cultural um Attitudes and, and uh, different cultural things. And I, it, it makes me wonder if, if you think that mainstream publishing is now beginning to take an interest in focusing on indigenous characters as well as other um, cultures.
4: Yes, so, so the short answer is, is yes, and, and that's why an imprint like Heart Drum exists. Um, I think that it, it's something that's been a long time coming, and we're seeing this shift in um, imprints that publish children's literature, and we're not so much seeing this in the adult side of publishing yet. But it's great to have an imprint like Drum that focuses on Native voices. Um, Too long, a a lot of our stories have have been ignored or or there hasn't been a place in mainstream publishing for them, so I love seeing things like uh, Rick Riordan Presents. Um, I love seeing that attention to those kinds of stories or um there's a muslim children's literature imprint called Salam Reads
3: and and with this one Heart Drum um and i want to stay with that for just a minute is it primarily uh, is their interest primarily focusing on um indigenous characters and stories
4: yes so um indigenous characters and stories written by native writers uh, for all the way from picture books to this is the first young adult novel out from Hartjom. and they are uh, contemporary stories or forward-looking stories rather than historical narratives.
3: You know, in, in a lot of cultures, and especially um, some of the indigenous cultures in in North America, various uh, tribes and bands of of people the the history of their stories is primarily an oral one of stories told through time. There isn't right there isn't a history of literature. How do you find stories rooted in indigenous cultures?
4: How do you find them as a as someone who is interested in that? Yeah, I, I is
3: that mean, the there, you're asking? there isn't there isn't a big library of it currently. Although, because of Heart Drum and you and, and Rick Riordan and others, the, these stories are starting to come out. But if you're if you're curious or if you're researching because you want to write in those voices, how how do you find the old stories?
4: you you make relationships with indigenous peoples and you develop a reciprocal relationship with them um i mean are there any projects
3: where these things are are being recorded and and logged and and a, a, a library is being built of um uh, of these uh myths and stories and tales that that go back in time
4: i i'm Mm, that's a good question. So, if you just go on Google and Google like Indigenous myths or Indigenous stories, or you say Métis stories, you will find some repositories. But um, I I wouldn't say they were they're super reliable. Um, it's really important to figure out who's putting those repositories together. What's happening, perhaps that is is related to this, is A lot of Indigenous nations are trying to make sure that they keep their language alive. So, they may be doing recordings of of stories being told in the language that are therefore not accessible unless you have access to the language.
3: Is this book, Jen, the Summer of Bitter and Sweet, a standalone book, or might we expect future adventures of Lou?
4: <laughs> this is a standalone book. Um, I, the way I've been describing this, is that book two, which takes place in another town, it takes place in a mountainous town in Alberta, Canmore, Alberta exists in the same universe, so you might hear mentions of Lou's familys ice cream and other books but there's it's very unlikely we will see Lou and her friends again
3: i I just wonder if you're um, if you prefer standalone books or if you imagine or can imagine yourself writing a series? I, I always ask writers if they get to the end of a book and go, but wait, there's more, and next thing you know there's ten volumes.
4: Um, yeah, I, I have writer friends who are like that. <laughs> I, think that <laughs> I think that when you're writing um, young adult contemporary books, particularly when I started this book with Lou graduating from high school, uh, by the end of the book, Lou kind of ages out of the young adult genre a little bit. Um, I know there are some young adult contemporary writers who who start their character at fifteen or sixteen and then can write multiple books in that character's life, but i'm I feel like Lou's story is complete and at the end of the story it's up for readers to determine what happens next that's no longer my job
3: interesting so what is next for uh for
4: you jen i have a second young adult contemporary book coming out with hartram in 2023 fall 2023 is about as detailed as i can get at this point um yeah are
3: you um, are you able to write full time? I can. Are you able to find enough writing work to, to work uh, as a writer full time, or like a lot of writers, do you have to do something else to make ends meet and and write as much as you can when you can?
4: I um, do not work full time, and. I'm not interested in pursuing writing full time. Oh really? Um, yeah, I, I actually I really love my day job and it's writing related. But I'm I'm a professor and I teach fiction writing, so I get to teach stories and I get to work with um, young—not in terms of age, but like in terms of their practice with their craft. I get to work with young writers. So I find that really fulfilling, and that is something that helps me to think about how I tell stories myself.
3: Well, Jen, thank you so much for spending this time with me and the listeners this morning. And uh, by all means, keep up the good work.
4: Thank you very much.
3: All right. Take care. Bye. Bye. That was Jen Ferguson. Uh, she is the um, author of a debut young adult novel, which is called um, let me, uh, The Summer of Bitter and Sweet. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program straight ahead.
1: From the Tom Sumner Show
2: THIS IS THE UNKNOWN COMIC, AND GUESS WHAT, YOU'RE LISTENING TO THE TOM SUNDER SHOW RIGHT NOW, AND NOW,
1: AND NOW TOO, AND EVEN NOW.
3: It's 2022, and this year, the Tom Sumner Program begins its 15th year. It would not be here without support through the years from individuals and organizations like these. Seth David Radwell.
6: East Village Magazine.
3: Flint Institute of Music. Hello!
4: I'm Maestro Rick as Flint Community School.
5: MTA Flint. Flint Comics and Entertainment. Hamity Complete Food Center. The River Watershed Coalition. W.H. Wisecarver. The Genesee County Road Commission. Lone Museum Auto Fair. The
9: Thomas Appliance. The
3: Genesee.
8: I get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors.
2: Rod Serling? Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody?
8: I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight, Twilight Zone? If I go any lower, I'll be in the
2: Twilight Zone. All right. Oh but Jethro's right at home in the Twilight
9: Zone. I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone. I
3: got a feeling something strange is about to
6: happen. In the Twilight Zone. Hi this is Ann Serling and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program.
0: Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
9: Milestones are never really recognized right away. It takes a 50 60 years before people realize what a achievement it is like um, take for instance tobacco and uh, the discovery of tobacco it was discovered by Sir Walter Raleigh you know and he sent it over to England from the colonies and uh, it seems to me the uses of tobacco aren't obvious right off the bat you know and I imagine a phone conversation between Sir Walter Raleigh and the head of the West Indies Company in, in England Uh, explaining about the shipment of tobacco that he had just sent over. I I think it would go something like this. Yeah, who who is it, Mary? Sir Walter Raleigh from the colony. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, put him on, will you? Uh, Harry? Yeah, you want to pick up the extension? It's uh, Nutty Wall again. (laughs) Hi, hi, Walt, baby. How are you, guy? Uh, How's, how's everything going? I think things are fine here, Walt Did, did we get the what? Uh, the boatload of turkeys Yeah, they, they arrived fine, Walt uh-huh. uh, As a matter of fact, they're still here, Walt and they're, they're wandering all over London, as a matter of fact uh, See, that's, uh, that's an American holiday, Walt uh-huh. What is it this time, Walt? You got another winter for us, uh, do you? <laughs> tobacco. <laughs> What's tobacco, Walt? It, it's a kind of leaf. And you bought 80 tons of it. <laughs> uh, let me get this straight now, Walt. You, you bought 80 tons of leaves? This uh, this may come as kind of a surprise to you, Walt, but uh, uh, come fall in England here, we're kind of up to our... uh... It it isn't that kind of leaf. What is it, a a special food of some kind, is it, Walt? Not exactly, it has a lot of different uses. Uh, Like, what are some of the uses, Walt? Are, are you saying snuff, Walt? What's, what's snuff? You, you take a pinch of tobacco <laughs> and you shove it up your nose, <laughs> and it makes you sneeze, huh? <laughs> I, I, I imagine it would, Well, yeah. <laughs> See, uh, uh, goldenrod seems to do it pretty well over there, Wal. Right? <laughs> it, it has some other uses, though. You, you can chew it. <laughs> or put it in a pipe. Or, or, you can shred it up and put it on a piece of paper and roll it up. <laughs> don't don't tell me, Walt. Don't don't tell me. <laughs> you you stick it in your ear, right, Walt? <laughs> <laughs> all, all between your lips, Walla. <laughs> then, then what do you do to it? Wala? <laughs> you set fire to it, Walla. <laughs> then, then what do you do, Walla? You inhale the smoke. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, Walt, it seems offhand like you can stand in front of your fireplace and have the same thing going for you, you know? <laughs> See, Walt, uh, we've been a little worried about you, you know? <laughs> Ever since you put your, your, your cape down over that mud, you know? <laughs> See, Walt, I, I think you're going to have kind of a tough time uh, uh, selling people on sticking burning leaves in their mouth. <laughs> it's going very big over there, is it? What's the matter, Walt? You spilt your what? Your coffee What's, what's coffee, Walt? <laughs> that's, that's a drink you make out of beans huh? <laughs> that, that's going over very big there, too, is it? A lot of people have the coffee right after their first cigarette in the morning huh? Is that what you call a burning leaves, Walt? Cigarettes? Uh-huh I'll tell you what, Walt. Why don't you send us a boatload of those beans, too? If you can talk people in- into putting those burning leaves in their mouth, they got to go for those beans, Walt. Right. And listen, Walt. Don't call us. We'll call you. Right, Walt. Come on. Come
1: on.
0: This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program.
2: I remember the night mom was pounding on her drums she called me to her side she said son you're growing up pretty soon you're gonna drive and daddy heard the commotion and came came in tap dancing playing his sixth string and they both looked at me and they said son before you get behind the wheel of a car you listen to me if you're texting while you steer Don't drive. if you've been drinking beer don't try! If you're talking on the phone Don't try! If your ties are bald and it's starting to snow Don't try! If your foot can't reach the pedal Don't try! If you're wearing no apparel Don't try! If you took an illegal prescription
1: Don't try! If
2: no one understands your addiction Don't try! Don't speed, don't read. don't breed, don't tweet, don't shave, don't rave, don't wave, don't eat Makeup on Or shave You know you're not supposed to do that Ugh. If you got to do something You're not supposed to do You can go ahead and step on my blue suede shoes Ah, go ahead and scuff them up <laughs> If you're driving with your knees Don't drive if while you roll you eat Don't drive If you don't know how to drive Don't drive you've been psychedelic. Don't try If you're kissing on your boo Don't
1: try If the boo's
2: kissing on you Don't try If you've been drinking at a bar Don't try If there's guns in the car Don't try Don't groom, don't shave, don't tweeze, don't nurse Don't watch these things in your ears Or rummage through your purse Don't do that If you won't Something you're not supposed to do, you can go ahead and talk on my Foo Manchu. Go ahead, I don't care. Watch me tear. <laughs> if you feel like a nap, don't drive the If there's a pooch on your lap, oh, it's
6: dangerous and creepy. If you're feeling
2: really wired, if your license is expired, don't you drive oh. around the town. <laughs> Something you're not supposed to do You can go ahead and Step on my bluesway shoes Scuff them up Then go ahead and Pull on my Fu Man shoe Yeah If you want to do something You want to do something That's good If you're feeling like Any of that stuff Don't drive Make sure you got a clear head Ow Ugh.
1: ...from the Tom Sumner Show... ...oh
3: yeah... Hey, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks for uh, tuning in and thanks to all my guests today author uh, Jen Ferguson in uh, Learning About the uh, Métis. Before that, we got a chance to talk with Dr. Lauren Olson about his memoir, a collection of uh, essays called No More Neckties. And we started out this morning with um, the author of a series called Dinosaurs Living in My Hair, Jane Rose Valley. Anyway, I'll be back tomorrow with another edition. Good night, Tom everybody.
0: The Tom Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area.